All right. Well, we are continuing through the book of Luke. And uh, as I said here, um, I, I, I could probably say this again just so we don't, we can like remember it and remember it. But our mission statement is to be. That means, you know, often what we think of mission, we think of just going and getting something done, but also there's a going and getting something done in us, right? Autumn this morning is helping our, our kids understand that Jesus is still our Lord and Master, and that's, that's like a, a daily walk, um, a moment-by-moment moment where we're continuing to surrender our lives to Jesus. No matter if you've just become a Christian lately, maybe, you know, maybe Easter you, you surrendered your life to Jesus because... You know, that's such a great day and the, the highlight of the resurrection. Maybe something beautiful happened in your heart and you were transformed from this darkness and now you're brought into light. And there's, maybe it's just new and fresh inside of you. Or maybe uh, many, many, many Easter's ago uh, you surrendered your life to Jesus, right? And you've been walking with Christ. But whether you're new or, or you're older and you know that every part of your life, every day there's decisions to be had, to be made, where we either choose to follow Jesus or we choose to go our own way. So in our mission, it's not just, it's not just out there, but it, it definitely is out there too, right? So it's not just something that we do as people who are saying we're following Jesus, but it's also from the great commission that we see in the Gospels where Jesus says, before he ascends back into heaven, he says, go, go, go therefore and make disciples of all, all nations, uh, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And the, not many times do we get to baptize people after Easter, the Sunday. Um, we're so excited about that. Someone's going to get baptized today. And if you are, are a Christian, and you have not yet been baptized, I'm telling you, the water's warm, okay? And we have towels, and we have extra big, giant clothes uh, if you need a change of clothes. And so... It's, it's available here for you this morning. But who we are called to be and what God, the mission that God's given us here at Southlands Chino is to be and to make true disciples of Jesus. And that's, you see it in our kids. It's when, we, when we're singing songs, when we're gathering on a Sunday, when we meet together in community groups, when we, everywhere we go, that's what God's called us to do. The problem that we have with that is sometimes, maybe very often in the church even, we can say, okay, what it means to be a disciple can be subjective, can be kind of my, on my own terms, can kind of be on my, my comfort zone is like, I'm going to draw a line in the sand, and basically this is what I will do, what Jesus requires of me, and I'm not going to cross over that because that is against my values, that's against my comfort zone, that's against my preferences. Never more, I don't think, and maybe some of you older-timer Christians can remember, but in, at least in my lifetime, I can't think of a time where the idea of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, has, has been so subjective, has been so based on what I feel, and whether I like something or I don't like something, the, my preferences of how I want to view the world and how I want to view God himself and how I want to view myself and how I want to view politics and how I want to view religions and how I want to view 
jobs and how I want to view my marital relationships and my children's relationships and et cetera, et cetera. I cannot think of a time in my lifetime where this has been so all over the place subjective and everybody has their own ideas of what that means and everybody comes to their own conclusions than ever before in this time. But Jesus was very objective. <laughs> when he explained what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And there are going to be some really hard things that we look at today, okay? I'm just giving you like a, a, a warning this morning. Jesus does not pull any punches in our text today. So if you've grown up with this idea that Jesus was always super nice, and he always was worried about everybody's feelings, and he was always really concerned about whether people would like him or not, we're not going to see that this morning, okay? What we're actually going to see is Jesus, he's going to say some hard words. And it, I mean, you, you've seen this in, even in society, maybe in your own family, soft words sometimes produce soft disciples, and sometimes we need some hard words. Not that Jesus is trying to be mean or grumpy or disgruntled. That's not the heart of Jesus. But here's the thing, friends. See, Jesus is not like a, a used car salesman. Is there any used car salesman here this morning? Okay. Okay, maybe you just didn't raise your hand. Okay. A, 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 a uh, I don't know. Okay, let, you guys know what I'm talking about. He, does, he is not trying to show you all the good stuff all the time so that and, and just pretend like the hard things of what it means to be a disciple. Let's not talk about those things. See, Jesus wants to tell you the truth this morning. And so as we look at Luke chapter 14, we're going to see what Jesus says. And it's, it's hardcore, okay? It's pretty hardcore. Um, and so I just want to... Because I'm a little bit of a people pleaser, I just want to say, this isn't my stuff, this is Jesus' stuff, okay? So this is what the Bible says, it's not what I'm saying. All right, you guys doing all right? All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here on our tables around the auditorium, back at the welcome table, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's our gift to you. We also will have the scripture up on the screen. We're going to be reading from the ESV version. And this is what the word of the Lord says, starting in verse 25. Now, great crowds, everybody say crowds, all right? Now, great crowds accompanying him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, everyone say hate, all right, that was, that was not very good, but you guys don't like that word. And does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross, everyone say cross. That was a little bit better, okay. And come after me, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Everyone say cost. All right. 
whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what, what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all, everyone say renounce all, that he has cannot be my disciple. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use. Everyone say no use. Either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, these are... Um, we just admit these are some hard words this morning. And there's probably, I would venture to guess, God, in this room, some criticism, some say what, some red flags going off in our hearts, maybe guilt, maybe shame. Who knows, Lord? I, I just thank you, Father, that even though you say some hard things, that you are loving, that you open arms, approach us, that you come to us first, that you initiate, and that never changes, and I thank you that that's true. And so I pray for us, I pray for our ears this morning, that, that we would not allow the way we think to override the way you think this morning. Uh, that you would help us to see you for who you truly are and to see us for who we truly are. And that you would help us to be subject and to lay our lives down before you. I pray for those of us here this morning that would say, yes, we are disciples of Jesus. I pray for your encouragement. I pray for your love. I pray for your empowerment to fill our hearts today. And I pray for those of us who, who may not yet have crossed the line of faith and who are still wanting to understand what it means to be a Christian, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help all of us on either side of that to know your heart this morning and to know what it means to follow Jesus and help us understand that. So we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. So if you'll notice something here, the, one of the first things that starts right out of the gate here is that you notice there's, there's great crowds following Jesus. And um, these crowds were, a lot of them, some of them would have been like pretty committed disciples of Jesus. We know that the 12 uh, uh, disciples that, that are famous in Scripture and the Gospels are with Jesus here. But we also know that when we say crowds, it's not just 12. We know that there's a lot of people following Jesus. And what Jesus is doing right now in this portion of Scripture is that he is continuing to walk toward a city called Jerusalem. The reason why he's walking toward Jerusalem is because 
the Father, God the Father, and, and, the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in, together in unity and saying, there is one way to redeem mankind from sin, and that is for the Son, Jesus, to go into Jerusalem and to be crucified. To make his life available for us by laying it down, and he dies a death, a criminal death, on the cross. And in this moment, what happens is the, the judgment that God holds against sin, the wrath that God holds against sin that you and I have done, he, he diverts that from us and he places it all on Christ in this moment. And Jesus is preaching, he's teaching, he's doing signs and wonders, he's preaching the kingdom of God as he goes toward Jerusalem. And as he's doing this, there's a lot of people following him because Jesus is really awesome. Jesus is, is healing people. People are like, whoa, did you see that? Jesus is kind of giving it to the, the religious people who are all stuffy. And there's some people who are like, yeah, give it to him, Jesus. And they're like, did you see what Jesus did? Did you hear about this? He healed this guy. This thing happened. It feels like something amazing is taking place. I want to keep watching what's going on. And so there's all these crowds that are following Jesus. But Jesus knows that in this crowd are some spectators, right? Are some guys that are just wanting to see magic tricks? They're wanting to like it, they're wanting to see what's the next thing going to kind of happen. And Jesus knows that the people that are following him don't really have a true understanding of what it's going to cost to actually align themselves, akin themselves to who Jesus is. And so he addresses them. And again, what Jesus is not trying to do here, as we read this, we know that he's not trying to win everybody over. Uh, who, is it Dale Carnegie who said how to, how to teach you how to win over people? I can't Win friends and influence people? That is not the motivation of Jesus here. He is actually saying some really harsh words. He's saying, if you want to be any part of me, I'm going to let you know how it is. And what I want to encourage us this morning, friends, is that it matters how we follow Jesus, okay? All of the subjective ideas that we have, myself included, about what we think it means to follow Christ, we have to lay that all down and go, Jesus, what does it mean to follow you? What does it mean to be your disciple? What does it mean that I, I hopefully here this morning we're saying, I don't want to just be a crowd, I don't want to just be the spectator trying to look over and get on my dad's shoulders and I can't see what's happening. Oh, that was really cool. It's, it's, we need to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And I love Lord of the Rings. M my wife tells me there's probably not a Sunday that goes by where I probably don't give a Lord of the Rings illustration. Um, and I say that's not true. Maybe like 9 out of 10, like 1 out of 10 I don't. So today I'm just going to be true to myself, Okay. Um, but if you know anything of Lord of the Rings, you know there's this wizard, and his name's Gandalf, and he does all these amazing things, and he, he finds himself going back to his friend's house in this little village where all these little hobbits are, and what do the hobbits love most about Gandalf is that he does fireworks. We love Gandalf's fireworks. He's the best, and there's poems written about Gandalf's fireworks, right? Everybody loves Gandalf's fireworks. But the moment when Gandalf says, hey guys, we got to take this ring, and we got to go to Mordor, 
And we got to destroy this ring. And on the way, there's going to be people who are constantly trying to kill us. Constantly. You're going to fall asleep and you're going to wake up like, am I dead? No, I'm not dead yet. Oh, thank God. There's going to be, there's, you're going to be hungry all the time. You're never going to know where you're going to be able to lay your head down because you're going to be traveling. And, this, and, and the moment that Gandalf switches from nice, happy, does the fireworks kind of Gandalf to the Gandalf that says, we got to take this ring, all of a sudden, Gandalf is not that attractive anymore. We start calling him names like Stormcrow and Old Greybeard because everywhere he goes, he's always speaking harsh things. But see, it's kind of like us as disciples and followers of Jesus. We can't just take the Jesus that was born in a manger that looks all super cute, laying in this hay that is sparkly and glowing. And we all look at, oh, his little rosy cheeks. Because that Jesus grows up and he says, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you. So, you guys all right? So we have to ask the question, what is it going to cost? What does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus? I made you say them already, right? But let's unpackage those this morning. So number one, a true disciple of Jesus makes Jesus primary. A true disciple, a true follower, and let's not even use these words disciple and follower. Let's just put the word Christian in there, okay? A true Christian makes Jesus primary, first, most important. All right, now let's go back and read verse 26 again. He says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. This, like, I've always been taught that Jesus was all about love, right? Jesus is always about love. God is love. God is love. That's something we, if, maybe you're not even a Christian, you've probably heard that saying. God is love. And so how come in this moment Jesus is telling me to hate people? This just feels so wrong right? Well, here's what we have to do. We have to understand that the way that Jesus is speaking here, you guys know what a colloquialism is? This is like, if I were to say, man, uh, that was super, like, okay, we ate at this restaurant, and the food may be really hot and spicy, but if I go, man, that restaurant's really cool, you'd be like, what? No. No, see, I'm using a slang term here that means it's really neat. I really, really like it. It's got cool decor, and the people there are awesome, and the food is really tasty. I'm not literally saying that the food is temperature cool, because we all know it's hot. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's not saying, you literally must hate everybody if you want to come and follow me. What he's saying is, your, your affections, your allegiances to me... All other must fail. All other must be so low in comparison that it would actually almost seem like hate. It would almost seem like you hate all these other people because you love me so much. And he's saying, disciples, doesn't matter what your relationship is with your kids, with your parents, with your family, with your friends, no matter what. Everything else has to has to, 
and that's an imperative, has to pale in comparison to your allegiance to me. Now, I think we can kind of swallow that jagged pill this morning because we go, well, after all, Jesus is God, right? But if we really honestly start to think about that, we know that we come into crossroad moments into our life every day where we have to make that decision. Here I stand, and I could either go right or left, and right will mean I put others and my preferences first, and left will mean that I surrender those preferences over to Jesus. And we're constantly in this tug of war. And we could all nod our head here this morning and go, yes, Jesus, he's Jesus is first. But think about how the moment you're going to leave these doors here this morning, you're going to be confronted probably pretty fast with this, which way do I go? And as disciples, true disciples of Jesus, Jesus says, unless you hate and only love me first, you cannot be my disciple. God help us. <laughs> and he does. Will, will, does this feel a little heavy? Yeah, it should feel a little heavy. My, my encouragement to you, my job to, for you, to you as your pastor, as one of the pastors in this church, I want to guard you from the subjective junk that would call itself Christianity. My job is to teach us what it means to be true disciples of Jesus. And if you find yourself here this morning with any allegiances in your heart that are divided, will you go to God and say, God, this is super, super hard. I can't do this in my own power. I can't do this in my own strength. I find myself very often at these crossroads and, and a lot of times, a lot of times I, I go with my preferences. Listen, we all do it. We're all there. I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect at this. We all are growing in this. But the way we grow is this constant surrender. This is hard, but Lord, I need your help. Help me. Help me. Help me. I need your help. And if you're not saying that, if you're not doing that, if you don't even realize sometimes that you're making your own choices, then you have a lot of surrendering to do as a disciple of Jesus. My encouragement to you is Southlands Chino. Let's be people who our first and foremost allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. Think about how Abraham and Isaac, you guys remember the story? Abraham's this old man. God says, hey, you're going to have a kid. He's like, how's this going to happen? This is impossible. Both me and my wife are super old. There's no, we're already done. It's already dried up. All the things aren't working anymore. We're not young. And so Abraham gets this idea. I know I'll sleep with this handmaid, and she's young and cute and blah, blah, blah. We'll have a baby. And God says, no, it's not going to happen this way. You're going to have a son. And he finally submits to God and doesn't do his preference, and he has a son named Isaac. Yes, thank God. God's been faithful. He's fulfilled what he said. I'm going to be the father of all nations. I'm going to be able to look out. It's going to be like stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. I'm going to be the man. And God says, I want you to go sacrifice that promise that I gave you, the seed that you are envisioning. I want you to go and literally 
sacrifice your son. And Abraham says, okay. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I think we have to ask the question this morning, friends, what is it that is robbing our allegiances? What, it could be your kids. Kids are such good things. Marianne and I, will, we walk all the time together and we're talking and we're praying. And what are we praying about? A lot. About our kids. Why? Because we love our kids. We want the best for our kids. And sometimes there are prayers of fear, like, God, please don't let our kids suffer. Please don't take our kids from us. Don't let something bad happen to our kids. And kids are good things. Relationships are good things. Finances are good things. All your job is a good thing. But when it becomes the ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. And God is saying, I am the ultimate thing. Please surrender to me if you are a true disciple of Jesus. All right. Number two. So not only is a true disciple of Jesus, makes Jesus primary, but a true disciple of Jesus dies to self. This is a fun one. Verse 27 says this. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And honestly, this is probably going to be the point every single time, right? It's just us keep, we keep dying to ourselves. So back then, most of us know we have a cross on the, on the back of the wall because that's what Jesus died on. He died on a cross. And when, when Jesus would have said the word cross, though, it wouldn't have been this far distant religious icon. It wouldn't have been this picture of endearment of, for their salvation, See, when Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, it would, have been, it would be like me today saying, hey, if you want to like, be my friend, if you want to be Kelly Monahan's friend, if you want to like, fit in here, you have to go to your electric chair every day. And you'd be like, what? Yeah, yeah, you have to like, go to the lethal injection and lay down there and not be fighting off the guards who are walking you down the green mile and be like, I'm not ready to go! You'd have to go willingly, peacefully, and say, I'm going to actually take every step toward that chair to be my disciple. It wasn't this, oh, thank you for the cross moment. It was like, holy cow. You mean to be your disciple? You're telling me I have to bear a, a form of execution where I will surely die? And the cross wasn't just this moment in death uh, what the roman soldiers would do is they would make people bring their cross they would carry their cross to their own execution site and it wasn't just this okay now you got on the cross and it's going to be a quick and merciful pain, uh, uh, painless death it's going to be possibly days of torment where you will be nailed you'll be in your own feces and urine and people will mocking you and the birds will be coming and picking at your flesh and you will be begging for someone to end your life. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, unless you bear your own cross, this wasn't like, oh, that's really nice. It was like, what? You want me to do what? And Jesus is saying, unless you're able to surrender it all, unless you're able to every moment we're at a crossroads and say, Jesus, I will die to self. 
I will die to myself. I will die to my own preferences. I will die to my own desires. And I will put your preferences and your desires first. Jesus says, you cannot, you cannot be my disciple. What is it that is taking the place this morning in your heart that is causing you not to put Jesus first? I'm probably going to ask this question at every point. Where is it that you're not dying to self? Where is it that in your mind you think, I will 80%, I like 80% of what Christianity says. I like 80% of it. But you know what? I really like smoking pot. I like, you know what I really like? Is uh, I really don't, I really like um, not paying my taxes. I, you know what I really like? Is like looking at certain things on the internet. But like all the rest of my life, I'm going to surrender that to Jesus. You know what I really don't like? Is like having to like, you know, make sure that I'm serving God by serving others. I'll just do that at my own preference. And Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple, I require 100% of your life. Nothing is off limits. Nothing. Okay, I hear what you're saying, nothing, but do you really mean nothing? I mean nothing. 100% of your life is mine, Jesus says, if you want to be guys doing okay? I feel, I knew that this morning there was probably going to be a lot of all caps in my, I was sending you an email with exclamation points. And so I want you to know that I'm not trying to point fingers, I'm pointing fingers at myself. But we, friends, need to take this so seriously. I think sometimes we don't even know that we're in the slow drift of culture that is just lazy river on an inner tube with a six-pack of sparkling water going down (laughs) the river, getting sunburned, and we find ourselves drifting from where we were supposed to be because we passed out from the heat, and we find ourselves in a world of trouble. Jesus isn't saying this stuff because... He's like a killjoy. Jesus isn't saying this because he wants to rob us of all the fun stuff in life. Jesus is saying this because there is a difference between us and the way of the world. The way of the world is the kingdom of Satan. And the way of Christ is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying to follow me means that you're subjecting your heart, your will, your ways to the ways of the kingdom of God. Because the ways of the kingdom of darkness is death and destruction. And it feels a little ironic, but Jesus is saying, hey, you want real, true life? Then you got to die. Because only when you die to self and the ways of the world will you find true purpose, meaning. And following Jesus, friends, if you're feeling like, whoa, what in the world? This seems hardcore. I want to tell you, honestly, it's the most rewarding, the most, it's nothing else will give you purpose in life like Jesus can and will and will do. 
but it's not easy. And any preacher who tells you, come to Jesus, he's going to make your life so much better. He's, he's going to like, I'm telling you, if you just become a Christian, your finances are going to get better. You just watch. You just watch. You become a Christian, God's going to bless you with money. You become a Christian, you're going to get that job, hallelujah. You become a Christian, all your friends will like you so much. Actually, it's not really like that. You become a Christian, and now you've got to do the hard yards of dying to self. But we're not without help. We're not without help. See, there's this person called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit is with us. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you have the person of the Holy Spirit who is God, the encourager, the empowerer to be able to help you in those moments where you're at a crossroad. This is what our job is to do, guys. We stand at the crossroads and we can either reject the help of the Holy Spirit, the one who is going to give us the strength to do what's right, and we can either go, I don't want that, and I want to do my own thing, or I'm going to try to do this on my own strength. Or what we can say is, I stand at the crossroads. This is above me. This is beyond my pay grade. And we go, I need somebody who can help me, who can show me why it is meaningful, why it matters the way I live, who will give me the passion, who will give me the encouragement, who will give me the power to be able to live out my discipleship. So if you're hearing me just say, you got to do it all in your own power, that's not the message I'm saying. But it does matter. It does matter. All right. You guys okay? All right. I was going to be real short on that one, and I didn't do it, so... Number three, a true disciple considers the cost. Considers the cost, verses 28 and 32. We don't have time to read them again, but Jesus is talking about, hey, this guy started, he was going to build a tower, and what, if you don't know the history, but usually they would build these towers in these fields, and they would store their grain, and it was these simple towers. If you go to Palestine, you can kind of see them all over the place. There's these little towers, farmers, and so what he's saying is this guy started, but he wasn't able to finish it because he didn't think, oh, I actually need this, this, and this, and then everyone's going to go, what an idiot. What an idiot. Why'd you start this thing when you couldn't finish it? And no king will just go out to war and say, I got 10,000 people, and then realize, oh my gosh, that guy's got 20,000. Shoot, I better like be like, hey, I didn't really mean it. You know, let's just be buddies. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a true disciple, if you want to follow me, you need to consider what this is going to cost you. Okay? This is something most pastors won't say. I'm just going to say it, all right? You ready? Do not follow Jesus unless you consider the cost. Do not be half-hearted about following Jesus. Don't do it. Jesus requires everything. Jesus requires your whole life. See, there's a lot of people the church has told them, hey, just come to Jesus, your life's going to be better. And when all that stuff about you surrendering your life, we can just kind of work that stuff out later. And, you know, yeah, 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 that's cool. Like, just, yeah, just do this in a little bit. Find themselves in utter disarray. 
find themselves in destruction, destructive living. Because somehow they believed that I can half-heartedly follow Jesus. I can do what I want to do, and then do what God wants me to do in this moment, and then over in this moment I can do what I want to do because God's just going to forgive me. God's a God of love and grace, and he just does. Jesus is saying to the crowds, to the thrill seekers, I want to see you do a magic trick. And he's like, I'm not about magic tricks. I'm about you surrendering all of who you are, and it's going to cost you everything. What's it going to cost? Everything. I just wrote out some stuff here, and I'm just going to read it to you. The cost of discipleship is not getting your way. The cost of discipleship is giving away more than you have. The cost of discipleship is being an outcast, being misunderstood. The cost of discipleship is always being subject to God's will and ways. The cost of discipleship is never being able to put your hope and satisfaction in worldly possessions and comforts. The cost of discipleship is showing love to people who hurt you and you don't like. The cost of discipleship is forgiving those who betray you. The cost of discipleship is being faithful to a church community even when you're just not feeling it. The cost of discipleship is not making decisions out of fear or money or comfort. The cost of discipleship is maybe moving to another nation, state, or city. The cost of discipleship is maybe staying where you are because of mission. The cost of discipleship is standing for truth even when it's unpopular. The cost of discipleship may be persecution. The cost of discipleship is living with a thorn in your flesh, as Paul did. The cost of discipleship is knowing that God's grace is more than enough in every circumstance. The cost of discipleship is surrendering your sexuality. The cost of discipleship is doing all things through Christ who strengthens you. The cost of discipleship is your life. Hey, that Jesus guy is really cool. Let's go follow him. If you're following me, I'm going to Jerusalem, by the way, where I'm about to be hung on a cross and die. Are you ready for that? Number four, a true disciple stays salty. A true disciple stays salty. Verse 34 through 35 says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use. It is of no use. You know what's the worst thing for a Christian? It's not death. Some of us would like, oh, the worst thing that could ever happen to me is I could die. The worst thing that could ever happen to me is I get sick. The worst thing that happened to me is, you know, my kids. The worst thing that ever happened to me is my bank account goes to zero. Like, nope, that is not the worst thing that could ever happen to me. You know what the worst thing that could ever happen to you is? If you become useless and saltless. I'm not saying that. Jesus uses the word no use. No use. Now, let me get some context to this because we think salt doesn't really not become salty anymore. Like, you could sit there for thousands of years and still it's going to taste the same. See, where these people would get salt would generally be from the marshes or around the Dead Sea. And this area, they would collect and they would let the water dehydrate and it would be like these crystals that would crystallize and it would be salt. 
But in this, there was a lot of impurities because they didn't have the technology that you and I have today that we can just go to the store, pick up some salt, and it's just going to stay the way it is forever, right? They were getting salt, and they understood this analogy here that Jesus is telling them because the, where they're getting their salt was full of impurities that would dilute the potency of the salt. And when Jesus is saying, if your saltiness is not salty anymore, what's the point? You're not even good for a manure pile, he's saying. You're useless. We, like, we stand here this morning and go, well, I have worth, I have value. Yes, you have worth, you have value, because you've been created in the image of God. That will never be taken from you. But what Jesus is warning his disciples here, he's saying, listen, do not allow foreign substances to come into you as a person and and dilute you so much that no one could even tell if you're salt or if you're mud or whatever mineral is happening here. No one knows. We'll just throw it. You ever like shake powder, tasteless powder on your food? Have you ever done that? Nobody does that. Hey, will you pass the tasteless powder? I really would like some of that on my spaghetti. Hey, this steak needs some tasteless powder. No one says that. What does tasteless powder do? If there was even such a thing that we would go to the store, who knows, it's 2021, people do some crazy stuff. I'm going to go, have you had this tasteless powder? It's amazing, you've got to get this tasteless powder. And it would just sit there. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple... Be who you are. Don't allow the things of the world to dilute your potency. Stay pure. How do we stay pure? By doing what Jesus tells us to do. When we're at that crossroad moment, and every time we're making that decision, whether we want to go his way or our way, and we go our way, and we go our way, and we get further and further away from this saltiness, And we then find ourselves sitting on the shelf, useless. But when we are at the crossroads and Jesus says, go my way, go my way, go my way, we get saltier and saltier and saltier. And then salty is a good thing. Sometimes my kids say, ooh, you're salty, right? As if like you're all angry and like they would probably say, oh, you're salty this morning. I say, come on, church, let's get salty. You are the salt of the earth. You are, Southland's Chino, the light of the world. Nobody, nobody in their right mind takes a light and goes, man, it's really dark in here. I know what I'll do. I'll light a candle, but let's just put it under a basket. Why are you doing that? I don't know. Oh, boy. All right. We, we get filled with stuff. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17, 7, something like that, says, those who are full hate honey. Those who are full hate honey. And it's like, guys, sometimes as Christians, we're so full of stuff, we're so full of the world, that the things of God just kind of seem like, whatever, I already got like, TV and this pizza and all this stuff. I don't need to be dependent on God. Last one. And this isn't a 
a true disciple saying, but it, I do think it bears repeating that he says here at the end, he who has ears, let him hear. Hey, crowd. Hey, guys, all you who were like, falling, like I, you know, I was walking my way toward Jerusalem and then yeah, I could hear all the talk, all the stuff that's going on. Everybody's excited, all the, woo, the buzz in the room, all of this. Like, man, isn't it cool? Sunday mornings, we're starting to see more people gather together. This is really exciting. Woohoo! Okay. But if we're not being disciples of Jesus, this is all really not worth anything. And so Jesus knows these crowds are following and these people are excited. The buzz, it's happening. And he says all these really strong words and he tells them, you who have ears, I'm assuming all of you who can hear me, let him hear what I'm saying. And what Jesus is telling us and telling the crowds is he's saying, disciples of Jesus, it matters how you live your life. Disciples of Jesus, take this seriously. Disciples of Jesus, count the cost. Disciples of Jesus, surrender your whole life, even if it means death. Disciples of Jesus, put Jesus first. That's what it means to be a disciple. Is being a disciple of Jesus radical? It is radical. It's hardcore, guys. It will cost you everything. And in a world that says you need to like set aside some stuff for yourself, you need to compartmentalize your mind and your heart, don't give yourself away freely to anyone or anything because you're going to get hurt. Don't do this. Just make sure you self-preserve. We can either choose to do that way and think somehow that we're being disciples of Jesus or we can do what Jesus actually requires of us, and that is to say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you know the best for me. I trust that you're going to lead me toward paths that will probably be hard, but you'll never leave me or forsake me. I trust that in these moments that I'm at a crossroads that you, you've sent the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me and give me power to make the right choice. I trust that you love me. I, why do I know that? You, you, can, you know the number of hairs on my head. You, you actually went to the cross. You, you see, Jesus, you didn't just talk a big game, Jesus. You actually did this yourself for me. You were willing to lay it all on the line for me. So we're in good company today, guys. I don't want to apologize for the strength of these words. But I do want to say, if I came across in any way this morning as arrogant, or like, I want you to just throw that away, okay? I want you to hear what Scripture is telling you this morning. Because as your pastor, I love you, and I want you to be robust. Man, we want like kick-butt disciples in this church. We want people who are like, I don't care what the world can do to me or say to me, because it's going to get worse. I'm not doomsdaying here, but it is going to get worse. And if you and I are not able to say, I have a conviction about what it means to be a disciple, you know what happened to a lot of these people in the crowd? They would just went away sad. They went away like, 
confused. I thought Jesus was all about like magic tricks. Please stand with me this morning.